Good morning again. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians once again this morning. <coughs> We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we'll be reading the whole chapter of chapter 3. So if you brought your Bible with you, you can mark that. Uh, if not, that scripture will be behind me when we get there. So I was reading a book recently, or listening. I should uh, be more honest, I guess. I was listening to an audio book recently. Uh, and the author of the book it's kind of unrelated to the subject I'm going to use it for, but he had this great illustration. Uh, and the illustration involved being on a baseball team and uh, being on a professional baseball team in the World Series, Game 7, games on the line, you're, you're down by a run, uh, and, and you've had a terrible game. Try to put yourself in that mind frame. You're 0 for 4 up until that point. It's the bottom of the ninth. Your team is down by 1. Uh, you've got two guys on base, uh, and you're on deck, and your buddy is batting. And you're there, you're getting ready, uh, there's not two outs yet, so you know that you might get a chance to redeem yourself, and, and you're, you're, you're concentrating on this, you're thinking this is exactly how you drew it up, this is exactly the kind of situation you wanted to be in since you were a little kid, and you get the chance to go up and redeem yourself, even though you've had a terrible game, and, and you're just chomping at the bit, ready to go and be the hero. And as you're sitting there taking practice swings over and over again, the game continues to get more and more in the balance, suddenly your teammate hits one, and it's going, going, and gone. And your teammate wins the game. You don't get a chance to redeem yourself. He hits a walk-off home run. You win the World Series, even though you've had a terrible game. How do you feel about that situation? Are you able to rejoice in that moment, even though you're not the hero of the story, even though your buddy, who was four for four up until that point in the game, and had had an awesome game, could you rejoice in the same way, even though somebody else gets to be the hero? Or imagine it in a non-sports metaphor. Imagine being a salesperson at a business and getting the, er- the annual earnings report for the entire company. And overall, your company has increased sales by 20%, but your sales over the last year decreased by 5%. Are you able to rejoice for the rest of the company, to celebrate the big win, or are you more worried about your own failure? Or, let's bring it even closer to home, imagine being in a church where it feels like forever since we've had someone baptized, that's not here, but imagine being in a church where it feels like forever since you've baptized someone, only to hear at the annual community-wide gathering that the other Baptist churches in town are booming. How do you react? With rejoicing? With jealousy? How do you react when there's a win for someone else that's supposedly on your team, but you're not the hero of that win? Thus far in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul, we can see in him a genuine love for the church there, a desire to go back and be with them again. Paul and his companions, despite their rejoicing over the people, the, ch- the Christians in Thessalonica, they had had a difficult time while we were there. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They had had opposition that ran them off from Thessalonica and then from Berea. And then Paul goes to Athens and things don't get a whole lot better there either for him, even though he does have some wins. It was a tough time for Paul and his companions, constantly facing opposition And from his own personal perspectives, things could have been bleak in Paul's mind. But there was good news in Thessalonica. And we see that in chapter 3. We see it throughout the book, really. But we especially see it in this chapter we're about to read. 
Now, the thing I want to put before you this morning, the takeaway that I want you to, to take home with you, is that good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. Good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. Before we open our scripture together and read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit being in this very room. Simultaneously, God, we thank you for being in rooms full of other believers in our own country and around the world. At this moment or at other moments, God, for the way that you are moving in our world, for the way that you are moving in our neighbors, for the way that you are moving in this very church. God, we thank you for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And God, we pray that we could be a small part of it. But Lord, we pray that wherever it happens, God, you would give us a spirit of joy over what you are doing. God, let us celebrate that joy as we read your word this morning. God, remove distractions from us from our hearts and our minds, a long week. And God, help us focus solely on what you have before us this morning so that you might, through your spirit, implant that truth in our hearts so that it might transform our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica in chapter three. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul and his traveling companions as well as the Christian believers in all that area of the world, were facing persecution. From the Jews who opposed their presence and thought them blasphemous, being against God instead of for God through Christ, also to Rome, who was always bothered any time any little group appeared to come against the status quo and challenge their authority. Again, remind you of Paul's trip to Philippi where he was, uh, uh, even though he was a Roman citizen, he was not given due process and, and he and others were, were stripped and beaten in front of people. 
and then jailed again against his citizenship and his right to due process that happened. And then at Thessalonica where the Jews opposed them and, and went hunting for him and he had to escape by night. And then when that same group followed him to the next location in Berea and ran him off from there as well. And then to Athens where he shared the truth and there was some response, but many people didn't believe what he had to say. Paul reminds the Thessalonians, though, that suffering is a certainty for a Jesus follower. He tells them that. Affliction was coming. It is inevitable. We told you that this was going to happen. Paul reminds them. This persecution is, in part, at least according to the end of chapter 2, what kept Paul from returning to Thessalonica. To be with these people that you can tell in every word of this letter that he wants to go back. He wants to see them again. He is desirous of them, right? Affectionately desirous is the word that he uses in chapter 2. He wants to see them again. But he's unable to because of the affliction. He's unable to because of the opposition. Even though he knows that opposition was coming, even though he knew it was inevitable as someone who followed Jesus, this revolutionary in his day, and certainly everything that is about God and following Jesus runs counter to the worldly worldly wisdom, to worldly culture. So he knew that those things were coming, but despite the fact that he knew they were coming, he was still afflicted. Paul seems to be eternally optimistic, but you can see in these words that there is fear. There is fear that things aren't going well. He he wanted to be with them so badly, and he couldn't, that he sent Timothy, because he was afraid that the tempter may have tempted them, and their work would have been done in vain, is exactly what Paul says. You see the angst within him over the affliction that these people were going through. But a sad reality, or maybe not even sad, just a reality about what it means to be a church on mission, like the church in Thessalonica, is a church that is on mission is a church that encounters affliction. To be on mission for Christ is to be contrary to the ways of the world. It's to be contrary to the power systems of the world. And it always has been, and it always will be. Because the kingdom of God is upside down through the lens of the world and vice versa. The kingdom of the world is upside down through the lens of the kingdom of God. They run counter to one another. And so it is no surprise when we as Christians encounter affliction, not only did Paul say it was coming, Jesus in the Gospels said it was coming. It will happen. To be a church that is on mission is to be a church that will encounter affliction. And so Paul, again, is so worried about this affliction that it might have stolen the faith away from the Thessalonians that he sends Timothy to them. I could wait no longer, Paul says. I, I had to know how you were doing. I-, I wanted to see you face to face, but thing after thing kept coming up where I could not. So I sent Timothy to you. I couldn't take it a second longer. I had to know the truth that everything was okay. You know, Paul attributes much of the affliction that he and his, his fellow companions go through, all of that difficulty, much of that difficulty he contributes to Satan himself. At the end of chapter 2, he writes that it is Satan, it is the evil one, that is keeping him from returning to Thessalonica. Here, he worries in this chapter that the tempter might have led the Thessalonians astray tempted them away from the truth of the gospel that Paul had shared with them. You know, we don't talk about this a ton 
And part of my reasoning for not talking a ton about satanic forces or the forces of evil one coming against us is because I believe that one of the traps we fall into often as Christians is that whole the devil made me do it trap. We want to blame it on some supernatural force when really it was just our own sinful selves making a choice that is contrary to the will of God. I think sometimes it's easy to say that, well, I'm going to blame it on this outside force rather than my own sinful self, which there's plenty of information in the Bible about the sinfulness of the human heart and how it is continually inclined toward evil all of the time, as God said in Genesis. So certainly don't want to make that mistake. But it would also be a mistake to say that there is not some sort of supernatural force inclined against the mission of Christ. Working in opposition to Christ's mission, his plan to redeem the entire world. That's his goal, right? It is Christ's will that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And the evil one, Satan and his minions, are set against that truth. And this should not be something that we run away from. This should be something that we remind ourselves in Scripture. James says that if if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. This is not something that we should get overly worked up about. Realize that we have power through Christ. Christ has power over the evil one. But for now, he is running around in the world, the king of the air, the prince of the air, and he is seeking to resist the will of God, even though that resistance is futile and it will come to an end and he will be defeated once for all forever. And we can rest in that fact. We need to know that there is indeed a supernatural force working in opposition to the mission of Christ. And to act like there's not is being like with our head in the sand. Uh, Pretending that there's not some opposition out there. We're not prepared for that. Paul understood that. He understood that there was a force working in opposition. And you can see, at least from a worldly perspective, that his fear made sense. Because he saw the hand of the evil one in those who opposed him, who were seeking him out in the city streets to kill him and those with him. The opposition that had him beat, naked, jailed, likely wanted dead by the people who were coming against him. And further, and more importantly in Paul's mind, this opposition could easily tempt, at least from a worldly perspective, these new believers in Thessalonica to turn away from the truth, from the truth of the gospel that Paul had given them, and to go back to their easy lives where they weren't running contrary to the systems of the world. He was worried that the price of following Christ was so heavy because of the opposition that they might fall away. This is why he could bear it no longer. He was desperate for some good news. Have you ever been desperate for some good news? Have you ever had one of those seasons of life? Maybe you're coming out of one, maybe you're in one, or maybe you're going into one. Probably are one of those three, because we go through these seasons of life, of life where it feels like you're getting piece of bad news after bad news. You, you have sickness in your own life, in your family's life, or you're learning of relationships that are, that are stressed that you didn't know about, and, and, it just, and, and maybe you're getting some bad news at work, maybe there's some bad news from insurance company, it just seems like there's bad news everywhere. And you find yourself in the moment that you can just stop and think amidst all the chaos and affliction, man, I could really use some good news right now. I'm certain that many of you, if not all of you, know what that feels like, to be desperate for some good news. It seems like that's the boat that Paul is in 
I could take it no longer, so I sent Timothy to you to bring the report back. And Timothy brings that report. He tells Paul that the Thessalonians are standing strong in their faith, despite the affliction besetting them. And he brings Paul great joy and his companions in telling him this truth. Paul writes, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Let me read that one more time. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through our faith. The word that Timothy brought was so great in Paul's mind and for Paul's heart and for Paul's joy were that even in the midst of distress and affliction, just the news that the Thessalonians were strong in their faith was enough to lift his spirits. In all our distress and affliction, even when things are terrible, even when I'm stuck running for my life because there's people at every place that I go to that not only oppose my message, but also personally oppose me and want to see me punished, even in the midst of all of that, this single good report that things are going well with you is enough to lift my spirits out of the dump and move me to a place of rejoicing, where I will write this letter rejoicing over every time I think of you. Think about that. We've talked about that already, about how Paul says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to the Lord. Realize that he is doing that in fear. Probably, as a human being, in fear that there are people looking for him, there are people looking for his companions that want to see them wiped off the face of the earth. And not only that, they want to see the message wiped away as well. Not only his life is in jeopardy, but his life's work is in jeopardy from a worldly perspective. And even in that sense, Paul, all he has to do is remember the Thessalonians, and his heart is lifted. He rejoices. He was desperate for some good news, and Timothy brought some good news with him. Good news from a brother or sister in Christ shines light in the darkest of places. Even when we are in the midst of the depths, good news from a brother or sister ought to lift us at least a little. Because good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. I love sports and I love movies, so I'm going to put them together real quick. I'm reminded of a couple of movies about rejoicing. How many of you remember the movie Hoosiers about the Indiana basketball team? It's a good one with Gene Hackman. Uh, You remember that Dennis Hopper is also in that movie. And Dennis Hopper plays a guy named Shooter, and he is Everett's father. Everett's on the basketball team. Shooter is a conflicted person, right? He has a drinking problem. He's in and out of being in this, this young man's life. And at the very end of the movie, he's in the hospital, right? And he's listening on the radio to his son's basketball team as they play for the Indiana State Championship. And you could probably remember, if you, if you've seen that movie recently, especially, you can remember when they win, the guy's announcing it over the radio, and Dennis Hopper's character, even though he's stuck in the hospital, is rejoicing over the victory of his son's basketball team. There's another movie, Remember the Titans. Many of you have probably seen that one as well. You remember the character Gary Bertier, who hurt himself before the state championship game. The same exact thing. He, even though he is now crippled, he went on to, uh, to, to compete in the, in the Special Olympics. Is actually a true story. Um, even though he was currently crippled and in bed in a hospital, 
He was listening to his team play on the radio. And I can still, like, I can still see that one of him leaning back in the bed with his hands up, with his, his eyes clenched, and just like letting that victory wash over him as his team won from a distance. To me, that's what the good news of Christ, anywhere being good news of Christ, everywhere means. That, that even if I'm, I'm stuck in the muck, that even if, even if, 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 if something is broken within me or within my body, even if I'm, I'm just like trying to figure out how to make the next day work in my Christian walk, if I just stop for a moment and I, and I hear about what God is doing somewhere else in this community or someone else in, somewhere else in the world, there is a reminder that, hey, I might be in the thick of it right now, but my team is winning. Amen? My team is victorious. And it's good to be reminded of that even when we're in desperate places where we can just let that truth wash over us. Yeah, I might not have been the hero. I might not have been the one up at the bat when we won the game, but I'm on the winning team and I can rejoice over that fact. Anytime, anywhere, because good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. Paul ultimately gives praise to God alone for this good report. It wasn't just good news. It was good news from the Lord. God was still at work and the Thessalonians were the proof that Paul needed to see. And Paul still desperately wants to see them. He remains, again, affectionately desirous of them. He wanted to celebrate with them. When someone you love accomplishes something important or big in their life, what do you want to do? I know what I want to do. When it's my boys, I want to, I want to be face to face. I want to give them a high five. I want to hug them. I want to celebrate in that moment. And I could imagine Paul's feelings are the same. Oh, he had this good news. He just wants to be with them again, to celebrate with them, to celebrate what God is doing. Even in the midst of darkness, Paul is encouraged by the good news of what is going on in Thessalonica. May we be encouraged, and may we encourage those in the midst of darkness. May we be encouraged about the truth of the gospel today, because the reports of its demise are greatly overreported in our world today. They're greatly exaggerated. That was the word I was looking for. The reports of the demise of the gospel are greatly exaggerated in our world today. Because of many of the things that we see in our world, in our world, in our Western American world today, we think that, well, Christianity must be on the decline all over the world. Let me give you some truth to the contrary. Christianity Today reports that the number of Christians in Africa grew from 9 million in 1900 to 541 million in 2015. With that number growing by 51% just from 2000 to 2015. Think about that for a moment. A number growing by 51% in just 15 years, which works out to, through birth or conversion, get this number, through birth or conversion, there are 33,000 new Christians in Africa every single day. Now, come on. How can you not rejoice over that fact? By birth or conversion, from 2000 to 2015, there were 33,000 new Christians in Africa every single day. Day. That is truly amazing. Likewise, the church is exploding in Asia, according to the Asia Evangelical Alliance. In 1959, Nepal was home to 29 Christians. That number, in the most recent data that they have, has grown to over 500,000. 
1989, there were only four Christians in Mongolia. That number, again, according to the most recent data we have, is up over 200,000 in Mongolia today. Even in the Middle East, there is good news. The church has an annual growth rate of over 9% in both the UAE and Saudi Arabia, according to the, the Disciple All Nations group. The church is booming in South America as well. God is working in the world. We cannot deny this fact. Sometimes we get this Western bias to where if we don't see him in our own society, in our own culture, then we assume that God is dead. It would be reported by those who want to kill the message of the gospel just like it was in Paul's day. They still want to wipe it off the face of the earth. And just like it seems in Paul's day, it seems like it's becoming more and more difficult to be like an on-fire Christian, not just someone who calls themselves a Christian, but one who attempts to live the way of Christ in the world today. It's becoming more and more difficult. We're nowhere near the kind of affliction that Paul was dealing with yet, but we might be on our way because of the way our society seems to be going down. But guess what? They cannot kill the message of Christ. The evil one will work all he can with all his might like a roaring lion, but he's really just a little kitty cat because there's no hope for him in this world because we know the end of the story. And we are reminded when 33,000 souls a day are coming to Christ in Africa alone, we are reminded of how small the power of Satan really is. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's real. But our God is so much bigger. And so even if I'm laid up in the hospital, when I hear that news, 33,000 a day, are you kidding me? Get behind me, Satan. There is nothing that you can do. There is no way that the gates of hell can prevail against us. Christ promised us that. Gates, by the way, are defensive measures. We're on the march against them and they will not stand up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the over-exaggeration of the demise of the gospel in our world today, it is not on its way down and it's on its way up. God is working in our country as well. Again, contrary to popular belief in both mega churches and small churches, As it grows harder to be a Christian, faith will go deeper. Why? Because that's how it's always worked. One of the church fathers, Tertullian, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is what gives us our hope. When we are at our lowest, it's when we're at our strongest. When you back the gospel into a corner is when it is the most obvious of how powerful it really is. And as the church in America is backed into that corner... As we continue to make it harder and harder to be again an on-fire Christian, we will see who is really a sheep and who is really a goat. We will see those who really decide to stand with the Lord despite the affliction from the outside, and we will see our faith maybe decrease in numbers, at least by those who call themselves Christians, but that faith grows stronger and deeper in the church. The church is not failing in America. There might be fewer people calling themselves Christians as like relative to the whole of our country, but the church is not failing. In my humble estimation, the church is growing stronger, realizing that we are not a part of our culture we are against not like 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 adamantly militaristically against our culture but we are running in opposition to our culture and we are here to bring truth in a new and in a fresh way and i'm excited to see that new faith and that deep faith in our church despite and 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 because of the affliction in the world around us god is working in our country as well we got to see a little bit of that this past week in new mexico as we got to team up with a church there as we got to see 
not only the church that we worked with and not only the New Mexico uh, Children's Home, Baptist Children's Home, and the work that they're doing and rejoice over that, but, but our youth and some of the adults that work with them got to see people who are on the ground working for women, working for children, working for the needy. Uh, the gospel is very alive there as well, and we were able to witness that with our own eyes and rejoice over what God is doing in that area. God is working in our world. God is working in our country, and God is working right here in Grandview. I did some homework the week before we left for our mission trip. I, I, I texted or, or got a hold of both Michael Linhart and Philip Garvin at Chambers Creek Baptist Church and Grace Baptist Church and asked them to share with me some good news. Give me some good news that I can share with our congregation. Michael wants you to know that his son Matt and his friend and his friend's dad were all baptized at the same time a few weeks ago. And he rejoiced over that. Philip wants you to know that in the last quarter, they've baptized four and ten have joined. There's a fresh passion for missions going on at Grace, and life's, lives are being transformed through their life groups. I tried to get a hold of Daniel over at First United Methodist, and I wasn't able to, but I was able to sit, uh, be a part of a funeral service that he conducted at uh, Watch Chapel not too long ago. And let me tell you, Daniel, he's, he's not from here. He's a Korean, but the guy, man, he can preach, and he loves the Lord, and he loves his people. He loves the gospel. It's one of those because he, he, he speaks with a, with a bit of an accent that it takes a second to, to get used to him. But once you do, ah, I can hear the gospel dripping off the words that he has to say. And so when I hear the good news presented by the Methodist church here in town, when I hear the good news of what God is doing through our, through our Baptist brethren here in town, I, can, I have a decision to make. I have a choice to make. Maybe I feel like I'm the guy in the on-deck circle and I'm watching my buddy or I'm watching the guy that, that, that I'm trying to beat in my own right because I want to be the best on my team, not that other person. I'm sitting in the on-deck circle and I'm watching someone else win. I have to make the decision, will I rejoice for my team or will I selfishly wish that I was the hero? That's the decision that we have before us. Now, we have plenty to rejoice over in our own particular body. God is doing amazing things. You've been here. You've seen the baptisms. You've seen the people joining our church. You've heard about what we've done in New Mexico. And those of you who went, you saw it firsthand. But if we cannot rejoice for the kingdom of God everywhere, there's a problem. If you can't rejoice over what God is doing for another church, you're pursuing something other than the mission of Christ. The mission of First Baptist Church comes second to the mission of Christ. Here's the truth. The mission of Christ is the mission of First Baptist Church. And anytime we make it something other than that, we are completely missing the point and we're running a country club and not a church. Amen? Anybody in the house? That's what's going on if we are not pursuing the mission of Christ. And so even though I am extremely competitive, trust me, ask Cheryl about the times we play Bible trivia or Scrabble together. She's an English teacher. She always wants to play Scrabble. I got a Bible degree. I always want to play Bible trivia, right? Because we're super competitive. By the way, we haven't played either one of those games in like five years, and you could probably guess why. Can I get an amen from married couples in the house? We're extremely competitive. There is nothing I do that I don't want to be the best at, that I don't want to win at, even if I know I can't do it. And that's why golf drives me crazy, because I stink at it, and I want to be good at it immediately, because I'm that competitive. I don't want to have to wait to be good at it. I want to do it and win today. That's how competitive I am. And many of you are the same, I know. Even though that's the case, and even though I have to consistently push that down when it comes to the church, and there is always this little... Corbin's been watching Looney Tunes lately, and, and I remember Foghorn Leghorn. He had a good guy and a bad guy speaking to him. And even though that seems to be going on in my mind, consistently when I hear about a win for another church, 
There's part of me that wants to say, well, yeah, but they're a mega church, so it doesn't really count. Or, yeah, but, but I've heard their preacher, and he doesn't preach the gospel like I preach the gospel. Or, or, or yeah, but I wonder if that's really going to stick, because I know that a lot of people come and go, and that little voice is always talking. The other voice, if we're listening closely enough, is that the world is going to know us. How? By the way that we love one another. That we should bear one another's burdens. That we should rejoice when others rejoice. That voice starting to win out more and more in my life. And if we're going to be a church on mission for Christ, that needs to be the voice that we're listening to. So be encouraged by the success of others. Good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. Be encouraged about if, the, if we're still on the same rate as we were from 2000 to 2015, the 33,000 new believers in Africa born today, born or converted today. Gosh, that's amazing. I can't get over that number. Be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by the way that the gospel of Christ is growing in the Islamic world faster than it ever has. Despite the incredible violence and all the temptations for things to go south. Be encouraged by what God is doing elsewhere in the world. Be encouraged by what God is doing in this very community. Be encouraged by what God is doing in the life of your spouse or your kids or your parents. Be encouraged. Celebrate when others celebrate. In the name of Jesus Christ, be encouraged just as Paul was encouraged, and be an encouragement. Share what God is doing through you. You know, when I was doing my homework this past week, trying to find some information, one of the pastors, I'm not going to say which, told me, he says, I want to share it with you, but, but it sounds like bragging. And I was like, I get it. I, I do the same thing when I'm around other pastors. I, wanna, I don't want to act like I'm bragging, so I minimize things. I get it. But you're not bragging on you. You're bragging on God. And you're bragging on what he's doing. And so if God is working in your life, brag the heck on him, man. Like, brag on him all you can. Don't make it about you. Make it about God. But brag away. Let us boast in the Lord, as Paul says. Be encouraged by what God is doing in other people. And let Christ encourage others through what he is doing in you. Because again, I'll say it one more time. Good news for the mission of Christ anywhere is good news for the mission of Christ everywhere. Be encouraged and be an encourager. Let's stand together because during our time of invitation, I want you to think about this. I want you to, even in this moment, let your heart rise about the good news that you've heard about what God is doing elsewhere in our world. Think of a way that you can encourage someone around you through what God is doing in you. Be encouraged right now and think of ways you can be an encourager. If you need to pray about this or anything else, I'm here to do that with you this morning. The altar is open. You can pray there. I'm going to pray. Bill and Lynn are going to lead us in a song of invitation. You move in whatever way God is calling you to. Father, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for the way that you are at work in the world. God, may we not be tempted to believe the lies of the evil one that the gospel is on the way downhill. God, instead, may we rejoice over the news from our brothers and sisters in Africa, Asia, Middle East, South America, Grace Baptist Church, Chambers Baptist Church. God, may we rejoice over others. God, make their joy our joy. And God, get ourselves, get our selfishness. I'm praying in the name of Jesus to get that out of the way so that we can rejoice in what you are doing.
And God, show us something we can use to encourage someone else who might be in the midst of a trial. God, we thank you for the joy of your Holy Spirit. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.